0: Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series Podcast. I am a follower of Jesus, and I find the Bible to be absolutely amazing and love helping people experience it anew. Because in my 12-plus years of teaching the Bible professionally, I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much because when the biblical text is set in its context, it becomes more relevant, compelling, and transformational than we ever imagined. My desire is for all people to experience the Bible this way and to see Jesus at the center of it all. It's to this end that I created the Teaching Series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context, and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. So if you find an episode particularly helpful, I'd encourage you to check out the video version as well. And please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and let's jump into the episode. Friends, hello there, welcome to part seven in our series on the Bread of Life. If you are watching or listening to this on the release week, Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty. And I hope you just had a glorious time celebrating the most significant day of the entire year, commemorating the most significant event in all of human history. And I got to tell you, I have been so looking forward to talking about Resurrection Sunday with you for like months now. Like I just cannot wait to get to this episode. And a teacher's favorite teaching is the next one, but when it comes to the resurrection, oh, this is a teaching that I have just been so pumped about doing with you in the episode we're doing right now. So we are in the midst of our Bread of Life series. Um, This is part seven. This was supposed to be the seventh and final episode, um, but as a result of putting together this teaching and then thinking, oh no, there's there's one more in this series and we need to tackle that next week and I'll mention more at the end of the episode. But for this Lenten season leading up to Resurrection Sunday, which we all just celebrated, we have been talking about how Jesus is the bread of life. And the anchoring passage for us has been this passage in John 6, 35, where Jesus says, I I am the bread of life. And when we first launched this series, I showed you this image to kind of get us into the mind of bread. But with last week's episode, we realized that when Jesus is calling himself the bread of life, and when he holds up bread at the last supper, and he says, this is my body, we realized it wasn't this kind of bread, right? It was this kind of bread, the matzah bread. And so uh, for today, this whole bread theme runs through this last week of Jesus's life leading up to his death and then his burial and then his resurrection. And so our key references for today, and I just want to give this to you up front because we're going to just buzz through kind of the summary that is in these passages. But Exodus 12, Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, Deuteronomy 16, and then parts of the Mishnah, this early Jewish text. All of this is going to help inform our conversation today. So, um, just wanted to, to put this up front for you. Now, The whole week leading up to Jesus' death is Passover week, and it connects us back to the very first Passover. And so in Exodus 12, we get all of this language and instructions around what Passover is going to be. And so again, just in a summary here, the Passover took place during the first month. God goes like, I want you as Israel to orient yourselves around this event. Remember, this is the very first time Passover. Passover while Israel is enslaved to Egypt um, or to Pharaoh in Egypt. And so, this is the month of Nisan. And so, according to Exodus 12, this Passover celebration is that on the 10th day is lamb selection day. So, again, you can read this on your own time, but on the 10th day, you are supposed to select a lamb, and it could have been from the sheep or the goats, and it had to be a pure unblemished lamb. And then on the 14th day, at twilight. Okay, now that's significant because for the Jewish people, they reckoned their days not from midnight to midnight like we all do, but from sundown to sundown or from dusk to dusk. And so roughly at this time, it's 6 p.m. And so the idea is that the lambs were killed during twilight and twilight is at 3 p.m. So roughly from 3 to 6, that is what comprises twilight. And so, the lambs were then killed at twilight on the 14th day. And by the way, for those of you who are listening to this, I I think you'll be able to understand all that I'm saying, but this is also very, very visual teaching, so you might want to take a look um, at this later. And then it is on the 15th day, because after the lambs are killed, after sunset, you have your Passover meal. And so technically, even though the lambs for Passover were sacrificed on the 14th day, the actual day that God rescued and redeemed Israel from their slavery in Egypt was on the 15th day because it happens during the middle of the night when you read the Exodus account. And it is on the 15th day, and so this is Passover. And then also you'll read in Exodus 12 and in these other references, that on the 15th day launches a seven-day festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread, where you cannot eat bread that has leaven or yeast in it. And again, that goes for seven days. Now, here are just some quick points about Passover and unleavened bread, because they're joined together. And you see this especially in the New Testament and how they're talking about this. So, the idea of Passover that people would come to Jerusalem for and also celebrate Unleavened Bread is that this is one of the three main pilgrim festivals that Jews streamed up from all over the world in order to celebrate in Jerusalem. It was a seven-day festival, technically eight days because with the 14th day of the slaughtering, that was kind of part of it. But as far as the Unleavened Bread was a seven-day festival beginning on the 15th day, which was also Passover, And it remembered the Exodus event. And so, they're constantly retelling the story. And then, especially in Jesus' day, because they're under the boot of another foreign pagan oppressive empire. Now, Rome, they're begging that God will do this again. That he will bring forth a new Exodus with a new Moses. And that this is a freedom festival. So, the people, again, are recalling how they were rescued and redeemed. It's a freedom festival and it was celebrated with a festive meal, what we call the Seder meal, Seder is a word that means order, in Jesus's day. And so maybe for some of you, you know, in the last week or two got to attend a Seder meal and got to see how all of the elements of this meal, you know, pointed to Jesus. But here's what I want to do is I just want to put up here now um, this, this like last nine days leading up to the resurrection um, just to put up a, a calendar here. And I want to look specifically at the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th, which is all in Jesus's last week. And these are the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th days of Nisan, the month that is the time of the year in which this whole thing occurred. And so, here's the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th, and let's talk about what was going on in Jesus's day during this last week. So, on the 14th day, which is Thursday, and again, remember, the day ends and begins at 6 p.m., so at dusk when the sun sets. And on the 14th day, The lambs are killed in the temple, and this is during Jesus' day. And Josephus tells us that because of the amount of lambs that needed to be slaughtered, that this happened started as early as 1.30. And then generally by 5 they were all done because they didn't want to get anywhere near the 6 p.m. time frame. They wanted to make sure that they were in the 14th day. And then, after the lambs had been killed, then everybody gets together and has their Passover meal. And Jesus has this meal, we talked about this a little bit in last week's episode, that Last Supper is a Seder meal, it is a Passover meal that Jesus is having with his disciples, and it is actually happening in the evening, it's after the sun has set, so we are now in the fifteenth day and it is the Passover meal because this is the day of Passover when God rescued and redeemed Israel from their slavery in Egypt. It is also the first day of unleavened bread, and then unleavened bread goes for seven days. Now, notice how Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, talks about the identity of Jesus in connection to Passover. He writes this in 1 Peter 1, 18-19, "...for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect." This is the language of the Passover lamb. Notice how Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So when Jesus is crucified on Friday, which we celebrated Good Friday, or maybe many of you celebrated Good Friday, is that Jesus is crucified on the day of Passover and he is put on the cross at 9 a.m., and he dies at 3 p.m. Now there is a lot of scholarly discussion about the meal that Jesus had and what day it was on, and particularly because there's a reference in John. And I don't think that that what John indicates is problematic. And for those of you who know your text, you're like, okay, this was one of the things that I was thinking about. Uh, that's a longer conversation or a different conversation for a different day. But the idea here is is that the timing here fits really well. Now the reason why I mention that is because some people put. Jesus' Passover meal on Thursday, while then when Jesus is crucified in the afternoon on Thursday, that that is actually the time when all of the Passover lambs are being sacrificed at the temple. The problem with that is, is again, Josephus is telling us from basically 1.30 to 5, the lamb. So, the 9 and the 3 doesn't really fit with, yes, Passover lambs would be slaughtered on Thursday, but here's what is often missed in the discussion people have about why it is significant that Jesus not only dies on Passover on the 15th day on Friday, but the 9 and the 3 p.m. actually correspond with what is known as the Tamid sacrifice. Now, the word tamid in Hebrew is a word that means regular or perpetual, and it's referring to the sacrifice that is offered every single day, even on Shabbat at 9 and 3, in the morning and at twilight, corresponding to 9 and 3. And this was the core of the sacrificial system, and you can read about this in Numbers 28 3 through 8. It is absolutely astounding, but here's what's utterly mind-blowing about this, is that this tamid, the sacrifice that was offered twice a day, was comprised of a pure, unblemished, spotless lamb, along with a grain offering and a drink offering. And so Jesus is called the pure, unblemished, you know, spotless Lamb of God. And remember from the Last Supper, He holds up bread and He says, This is my body. It's a grain offering. And then He holds up a cup and He says, This is my blood, which is shed for you. This is a drink offering. And so, what we have here is this Tamid sacrifice was every single day at nine a m and three p m and the writer of Hebrews in ten twelve will say this, but when this priest talking about Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, like that Tamid sacrifice was a sacrifice that was offered on behalf of the people for how they didn't measure up for their sin, for their heirs, for their faults. It was the core of the sacrificial system. And what we find is that on the day of Passover, commemorating the day how God rescued and redeemed Israel from their slavery in Egypt, Jesus is rescuing us from our slavery to sin. And he is put on the cross at nine, and then at three, he dies. And this corresponds to the blowing of the sugar so far that would indicate that the tamid sacrifice had been offered on behalf of the people come on now man all right we're just getting warmed up by the way then We see that Jesus dies on Passover as the spotless Lamb of God for the sins of humanity. Now, again, this is on the 15th day. And you go, okay, wait a minute. Just Let's just pause for a moment. Earlier in the teaching, we talked about that the Lamb needed to be selected on the 10th day. Where does that correspond in Jesus' story? And you look up here and you go, no way. It's Sunday, the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. And so, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day, and then he dies on Passover as the spotless Lamb of God for the sins of all humanity. And then we see That Jesus has to be buried before sunset, and that is according to Jewish law. And so um, Nicodemus, um, as well as Joseph of Arimathea, they go to Pilate and they say, "Can we get Jesus's body down because Jesus has been dead since 3 p.m. and he is buried? And by the way, this is considered a day in Jewish reckoning. So day one, day two, day three. We're going to get to that, but just don't get hung up on the fact that Jesus is in the ground right before four, sunset, that constitutes a day in the reckoning in the first century world. So, Jesus is buried. And I like to use this word buried at this point because notice again what Jesus says in John six forty-eight and 51. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So we've been talking about how Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Now, in John, six chapters later, notice what Jesus says. He says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So he calls himself the bread of life and he's saying, listen, I've got to die in order for new life to be sprouted. And so, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. He dies on Passover as the spotless Lamb of God for the sins of humanity. And then he is planted, buried during unleavened bread as the bread of life. And then what we have is we have a Sabbath. And from the Sabbath, we find out that there is something that is coming, another festival called First Fruits. Now, here's what's interesting about this, is that first fruits is the day after the Sabbath following the beginning of unleavened bread. So, you go to unleavened bread, and the first day of unleavened bread, you go to the very next Sabbath, which happens to be the next day, and then the day after that Sabbath is... First fruits. So for us, first fruits is always on a Sunday. For the Jewish people, this is the first day of the week because Sabbath is the seventh, the culminating day of the week, and first fruits is always on a Sunday. But it can change as far as its connection. So, like, let's say for example, if um, let's say if unleavened bread was on a Monday then you would go, you know, to that next Sabbath, and then first fruits would be on that next day. So, it would be essentially seven days later. But in this case, it happens on the Sunday after the Sabbath, which comes right on the heels of Friday, which is the first day of unleavened bread, also the day of Passover. And here, it celebrated the start of the barley harvest. So, barley and wheat are your two grains. Barley heads first because it only needs eight inches of water, whereas um, wheat needs 12 inches of rain or water in order to head. And so, it started the barley harvest. So, it was a Thanksgiving feast, if you will, because you cut a grain, a sheaf of grain from your field, and then you waved it in the temple, and now it was understood that the rest of the barley harvest could come. And if you have a first fruit, it indicates the rest of the harvest is on its way. And so you're thanking God for the coming harvest. And it represented hope for the future. Not only hope for the future, that they've got food, but it was also a festival that gave the people hope for the future that was to come. And here's what's Unbelievable is that there was a prophecy, and this is in the Mishnah, that Ezekiel 37 was read in the temple on the Sabbath before first fruits. So on the Sabbath day, Ezekiel 37 was read on the Sabbath before first fruits. And in Ezekiel 37, we have this passage in Ezekiel 37.5. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Now, for the Jews and the Christians in the first century world, they understood this as the great resurrection that would come at the end of the story. And Jesus is resurrected in the midst of the story. And what day is that? It is on the 17th day, the day of first fruits. This is the day that Jesus rises from the dead. And not only is it significant that Jesus rises from the dead, it's that he rises from the dead on first fruits. And so one of the things that we need to be reminded of is that if Jesus just died on the cross for the sins of the world, that doesn't mean anything if there isn't an empty tomb. Because back in Genesis chapter 2, God helps Adam to understand that sin and death, they are linked. So Jesus couldn't just die on the cross for the sins of the world. He also had to conquer the grave because sin and death, they were linked. And by conquering the grave, Jesus validated his sacrifice that he made on the cross on our behalf. And in 1 Corinthians 15, this is what Paul is speaking to. He says, listen, if Jesus has not been risen from the grave, if he has not risen from the dead, man, we are still in our sins and our faith is futile because we have no hope. But Paul says no, he has been raised from the dead, and notice how he says this in 1 Corinthians fifteen, twenty to twenty-three. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn Christ, the first fruits. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. And what Paul is saying here is that if we are identified with Jesus Christ, that we follow after Jesus Christ, that we trust him as our Lord and our Savior, and our life is seeking to emulate how he lived his life, then Paul says, You share in the same fate of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, understand there's a difference between resurrection and resuscitation. When Jesus raised Jairus's daughter from the grave, it was a resuscitation because she died again. Same thing with the boy in name, same thing with Lazarus. That resurrection, by definition, is that you die and you come back to life never to die again. And Jesus is the first fruits of that resurrection. Resurrection. We have hope for the future because Jesus raised from the dead. And if we are in Christ, then we will share in the same fate as well. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. He dies on Passover as a spotless Lamb of God for the sins of humanity. And he is planted during unleavened bread as the bread of life. And Jesus rises on first fruits as the first fruits of the resurrection that is to come. Come on now. God knows how to put a calendar together. And so friends, this is the significance of the resurrection. We have hope forevermore. In addition to that, all of this is coming together and it's all centered around Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And so I hope that this just deepens your experience of the resurrection, that as we continue to go forth in the hope that we have, that we are reminded That this is a God who knows how to hold all of these pieces together. That God is a master of time and bringing things to fruition. And everything came together on that week. When Jesus died, was buried, he rose again, and we share in the same faith that he does Because he is the bread of life that has offered himself to all who long to be with him. So friends, thanks so much for just tuning into this episode. And as I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to extend this to one more episode because guess what? There is another festival on its way. And there is bread connected to it. And so we will tackle that next week. And the last thing I just want to mention is this, is that um, at Walking the Text, we are doing everything we can to provide these amazing resources free of charge to people all around the world. Uh, We became a formal nonprofit organization just over a year ago, and uh, we became a 501c3 um, at the end of this last year, which means that we can give um, receipts for donations, and it's tax exempt and all that kind of good stuff. And so we are seeking to continue to be a crowdfunded organization, which means that we can't do what we do without your help and support. Um, And so if you are interested in helping us to continue to make these videos, to make them available free of charge, if you are interested in joining us and providing funds to help scholarship people for the biblical study trips that I take people to Israel in Turkey for, then I would just encourage you to just donate at walkingthetext.com. You can do a one-time donation, um, or you can just do a monthly donation, which is really helpful for us because we can kind of get a sense of what's coming from month to month. And even if it's just $10 a month or $20 a month, like it makes a huge difference uh, to Walking the Text. And so just wanted to offer that up to you. And for all of you who have just been tuning in, been watching for listening, thank Thanks so much for doing so. May you continue to celebrate the resurrection well, and I look forward to sharing with you the next festival next week. But for now, may you walk out the text well in your life.